Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Last week, our psalm, Psalm 84, for the Transfiguration, uh, trained us how to think if the Lord would put things in our path that would prevent us from coming to his house, that our soul would long, yes, even faint for the course of the Lord. Our psalm today, Psalm 137, finds its singers in that exact situation, unable to be present in the courts of the Lord. Uh, this is actually one of the few psalms in which we're told the exact context of the psalm. And, and there's 150 psalms. Out of 150, uh, that's, that's quite impressive. The opening line of the psalm gives it away. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat. Yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung up our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. Uh, this is a psalm uh, of exile of God's people being exiled uh, away from Jerusalem, away from Zion, where the temple is. And, and so being away, being in exile, they, they've hung up their harps, their musical instruments, on willows, on weeping willows, because they're sad, they're homesick, they're dejected. They can't help but long for Zion, Jerusalem, and God's temple. Now, normally when we think of exile in the Old Testament, I think we gravitate towards the exodus, uh, that is, Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. We'll focus more directly on the exodus when we begin the 40 days of Lent in a few weeks. But there was another historically very important and theologically important exile, and that's when God's people were exiled in the nation of, of Babylon. As scripture uses the term the Babylonian captivity. Uh, the, the Babylonian captivity took place over 500 years before the birth of Christ, when the remnant of Israel, Judah, after a series, a, a series of unfaithful rulers, kings, and a series of unrepentant people, whom God warned again and again to turn from their wicked ways, and if not, they would be exiled, well, that's exactly what happened. They were exiled. They were taken captive and exiled in Babylon for 70 years. Now, put this into perspective. The Russo-Ukrainian War hasn't even been going on a, a, a single year yet. It began last February, late last February. Uh, World War II lasted only six years. So imagine being invaded by a foreign country and then only 70 years later being permitted to return to your homeland. 70 years. But imagine what can happen, what can change over 70 years. And I don't just mean uh, technologically, but if you want to think about that, 70 years ago uh, from this year was when the first color TV was sold. But think about how your attitude would change over 70 years. Imagine that you're a young person, maybe a teenager, and you've been taken captive by Babylon. And as you enter Babylon uh, with a line of people around you, uh, your thoughts toward Babylon are, are pretty 
well, pretty bitter, pretty angry. You're devastated about having to leave home, almost all of your belongings behind, and maybe even most of your relatives and friends. And so maybe you even resolve to never conform to their culture, maybe even to try to escape and return home. But a couple of years go by, and you're starting even kind of to, to warm up to Babylon a little bit. Doesn't seem so bad. The weather's nicer. A few more years go by, and, and now you've got kids of your own, and your kids don't know any other home. To them, Babylon is home. Maybe even then you, you decide to send your children to the, to the Babylonian schools. You know that they won't learn about the triune God there, the true God. In fact, they'll learn about false gods like Marduk and that the triune God is just a myth. They'll be taught that sexual promiscuity and adultery is good and that it pleases the goddess Ishtar. But you think, you reason to yourself, you know what, that's where my children's friends are. We can remain an Israelite family at home. But at home, maybe when you were a child, your parents led you in a fairly regular and strict devotional life uh, where you sang the ancient Israelite hymns and prayers. But over time, though, you, you've forgotten most of those hymns. And perhaps your kids have kids now. The Babylonian music you hear fills your ears, so you don't have any need to sing the Israelite hymns anymore. The Babylonian books and entertainment fills your home and your time, and even the Babylonian food fills your table. So even though you're say, you say you're going to have an Israelite home, functionally, it looks no different than any Babylonian home. And as the years go by, it becomes easier and easier to conform to life in Babylon and forget, then, your true home, to forget Jerusalem, Zion. Now, most of those things in Babylon, which were not bad in and of themselves, they become things that now draw the proud away from the triune God. And this gets to the heart of the lesson, the theme for this Sunday. In our gospel lesson, those who were proud, who were haughty, who thought they deserved what the master had to give them because they worked so hard throughout the entire day, in the end were rebuked. But the humble, those who were not deserving of anything, who worked only one hour, not, not worthy of a denarius, received everything purely by the master's grace. Psalm 18, 27 says, For God saves humble people, but brings low the eyes of the arrogant. Humility means recognizing your own weakness, your own shortcomings, your own inability to remain faithful, your inability to do what God demands. One who is proud, on the other hand, won't worry themselves with with taking care to order their life around God's commands or his word or his church. But the humble, in recognition of their own weaknesses, will remind themselves everything they lack. That's what we see here in the psalm. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung up our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. 
For they are those who carried us away captive, asked us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And when these Judeans hang up their harps and wept, you can be sure that there were those around them saying, Well, come on, get with the times. What can it hurt to accept this or that from Babylon? Why are you so focused on Jerusalem? Look at all the good things around you here in Babylon. In fact, we see the psalm writers acknowledging this. Those who carried us away captive asked us a song. Those who plundered us requested mercy, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. In other words, they're taunting them. They're taunting them. Uh, how do you know Jerusalem is even real? Have you ever seen it? You've never been there. You lived here in Babylon your whole life. How do you know Jerusalem is not just some myth that your grandparents told you to make you stay in line? But this is exactly why they needed to hang up their harps. It's, it's really what St. Paul encouraged the Corinthians to do, to, to have discipline, to, to have self-control in all things, to train their bodies. Like, a, uh, like you're training for competing in the stadium to, to win a prize. A proud athlete won't practice because, well, he thinks he's, he's too good. He doesn't need to practice. But a humble athlete, well, he'll spend countless hours preparing, and, and not just pummeling or boxing the air, not just random motions, but, but intentional thoughtful exercise. As St. Paul says, I hit my body and I make it my slave. That is, he masters his body and we are to master our bodies so that our bodies do not have control or master over us. In just three weeks, we'll begin the season of Lent. Lent has traditionally been the, the time in the church where the church has encouraged spiritual exercise, spiritual discipline. But to get today, beginning with Septuagesima, 70 days before Easter, we, we start to think about our life as being previewed by the 70 years of exile. We hang up our harps, so to speak, by, by not singing some of our traditional songs. We don't sing the Gloria in excelsis now until Easter, and we don't sing any Alleluia's now until Easter. And we do this not because we have to, not because God commands us to, to not do this, but because training, exercise, is actually a good thing. We need to be taught what to, to, to believe, think, and do. So these next three weeks of Jesmatide or, or pre-Lent, now is a good time to start thinking about, in the words of our psalm, what harps am I going to hang up? What sort of things in my life are becoming the waters of Babylon to me? What are those things that, that cause, you know, the, you know, those things that cause God's people to, to not look forward to returning to, to Jerusalem? The psalm writer is saying, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand uh, forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. So what, what sort of things in, in my life and in my family's routine, which are, are maybe neither good nor bad in and of themselves, but are things that, that maybe 
that cause me to become so comfortable in this life that I don't really look forward to the life to come? What sort of things in my life now cause me to forget that this world is not my home? Well, think about some of the believers you know who lived during the Babylonian exile. Daniel, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel was offered anything and everything that would come from the king's table. But he decided in freedom to not eat the king's food and chose only vegetables. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three men of the fiery furnace, they kept regular prayer hours. They, they set aside times of the day for God. Now, God never commanded Daniel or the three men to do these things, but they did them to train their bodies so that they would not stop desiring Jerusalem. And so understand that in no way are we, or will we, be saved by our own devotion or exercise or piety or work, by what we do or what we do not do. But rather, in humble repentance, we recognize what we can't do, what our weaknesses are. And so, like our gospel lesson, we become, we become grateful workers, thankful for the grace that the Master has shown to us, who've entered his vineyard at the 11th hour. We are saved by grace alone. Grace means to be declared something when I am in no way deserving of it. God's people who entered into exile in Babylon, well, that's what they deserved. God had warned them again and again, and again and again they chose and turned away from God. And yet, though they were not deserving of God's help in any way, look at what God promises at the end of the psalm. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed. Babylon will be destroyed which means God's people will be free. They will return to Jerusalem again. God will bring them out of Babylon, out of exile, into Zion, into Jerusalem. And then God's people will be able to take up their harps again and sing. Happy the one who repays you as you have served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Now that's some graphic imagery uh, of the vengeance being paid against the enemies of God's people. But notice, who is God's anger and vengeance directed against? It's not against those who are deserving of punishment. That would be all people. That would be us. We deserve eternal exile. But in his grace, God's anger is directed not at us, but against Christ. The rock is Christ, as St. Paul says. Christ is the one who is dashed. He's the stone that is rejected. And so the curses that the psalm writers ask God to do to them, if they, forget Bab if they forget Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, well, those curses get taken on and they get placed on Christ. The right hand of God forgets its skill. Jesus, who, who sits at God's right hand, chooses to come to earth, and his hands and feet go limp as he hangs on the cross. 
Jesus' tongue sticks to the roof of his mouth as he thirsts, dying on a cross. And in so doing, Jesus has raised our sin to its very foundation. He's raised us to the ground. We were wholly corrupt. But in baptism, Jesus tears us down and he rebuilds us. He makes us completely new. We were not deserving of anything but exile. But by the grace of God, he makes us inhabitants and heirs of the new Jerusalem of the heavenly Zion. We know our heart's condition. We know our humble condition. But we can take up our harps again and sing because we know what Jesus has done for us. We'll sing a little bit later in the hymn, By Grace I'm Saved. Let me just read you this verse. By grace on this I'll rest when dying. In Jesus' promise I rejoice. For though I know my heart's condition, I also know my Savior's voice. My heart is glad, all grief has flown, since I am saved by grace alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.